are in the middle of a... Um, let me have a look at the time. All right, got to keep moving. Hey, we're in the middle of a series called Holy People and we're making our way through uh, Colossians. Okay, this is the letter that Paul wrote from prison to this church in Colossae, a church that he hadn't been to before. And it's been great. I hope it has been anyway. I've been enjoying preaching it, so have you been enjoying receiving it? Um, if you want to follow along, we're in Colossians chapter 2 this morning, starting at verse 1. It'll be on the screen behind me. And here's what Paul says. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you for the church, and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. You know, as I say every week, I'm always amazed by the words Paul writes from prison. You've got to get this. He's agonizing for them. And then he says um, in verse 2, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. And right about now, you probably know why there's a piece of string that was on your seat when you came in this morning. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. You know, there's just no doubt about Paul's passion for the church and his heart. It's just always with them. He's always wondering, what are they up to? I hope they're doing well. I want to encourage them. I want the best for them. He doesn't even have to meet you and he's praying for you and encouraging you. He's just an amazing man. And, you know, in just a small way, I know how Paul feels because nothing makes me happier than to hear testimonies of spiritual breakthrough and of growth in your lives. And sometimes people sit in my office and they're going through the hardest times and we're there and we're praying together and then other times they're sitting in my office and, God, and just something's happened and, and there's, there's breakthrough happening and there's lives being changed and it warms my heart. So I get just what Paul's saying a little bit here. God, I don't ever want to have to do that from jail, but I'm happy to do it from my office. But I get it. You know, he gets excited. He understands better than anyone that the church has a massive assignment placed before it. So to spread the gospel around the world, it's to spread the gospel around the world. And so his job, you know, is to see these healthy churches, to see them being active. And he knows that it's the healthy churches that will be going on about the Great Commission and, and doing what God has asked us to do. So he dedicates his life to encouraging them and lifting them up and he just wants to spur them on. The devil, on the other hand, loves when churches aren't healthy and united because he knows that's what, happened. That's what we do is we take our eyes off the mission that God's given us, don't we? We tend to be inwards focused. We're not thinking about the gospel and reaching the world. And I love these words that Paul uses here in this, uh, in this, this chapter. He said, his desire is for the church to be knit together with strong ties. Now, I don't know much, much about knitting, but what I do know is that there's thousands of little threads tied together to make something amazing and useful and beautiful, right? Now, my, um, my grandmother, Belle, who's no longer with us, 
she loved to crochet, and uh, she took on the task of crocheting a blanket for every one of her grandchildren. And uh, she gave me this blanket one day, and it was so precious, and it was beautiful, and I loved that blanket. And one day we came and we discovered that my dog had loved that blanket too, <laughs> and destroyed it. And so it was a little bit heartbroken. So this morning I thought, well, I wanted to show you that blanket. So I asked Jared, my younger brother, and he's got his one. And this is the blanket that uh, my grandmother had crocheted for him. And so I had something similar to that. I think mine was actually a bit better, to be honest. But anyway, <laughs> they're, they're all good. This blanket, this crocheted blanket, Seems to have a lot of dog hair on it, Jared. <laughs> Yours is obviously a better dog, though, because it's still with us. You know, this blanket is a picture of the church. You know, we're, we're a cross-section of people with different personalities and skills and gifts and experience and cultures, and we're all knit together tightly to form something, hopefully something beautiful and something useful. Do you agree? Now, here's the thing. Just like this blanket, it takes a lot of hard work to make that happen because we are people. Being united like this, woven together, does not happen by chance. It doesn't happen by preaching on it, which I'm doing today. You can leave here and nothing could change. It doesn't even happen just by praying for it, although that is an important thing to do. To be woven together and united takes the effort of the entire church body to pull it off. Every single person has to be on board. Every person has to commit. We have to work for it. And it needs to be part of our DNA. The key ingredient, the piece of the puzzle, that makes it work in the church is right there in verse 2. And it's those strong ties of love is what Paul says. Now, I've talked about love in every one of these sermons in Colossians because Paul keeps talking about it. And so you've just got to keep talking about it and encouraging it and spurring it and, and asking us to think about it. And that, what I was doing there was opening up my heart, by the way, if you're wondering why I was making that thing. But we've got to open up our hearts and say, how are we going with love? It doesn't say strong ties of friendship, ties of tolerance. It doesn't even say good ties of love. Strong ties of love. Strong ties of love. So that's my first point for, the, for today. A holy and faithful church has strong ties of love. I say holy and faithful church because those are the words that Paul used way back in the beginning of Colossians. He says, I know you, you are a, a holy and faithful church. So that's what we've been learning about in each, each message. A holy and faithful church has strong ties of love. Now, a church is only as healthy and effective as its level of love for one another. You know, you show me a healthy church and I guarantee I can show you the love in that church. Take away love, there's no strong ties. Take away love and what we show the world is something weak. It's a gospel that has no power. Take away love and the effectiveness of the church is lost. Take away love and we may as well just be any other club in the community because we're not representing what we preach now, you know, um, church, Jesus gives a very serious warning about this, okay? 
if love is not abounding in the church, he actually says in the scriptures, we can cease to be his church. We can cease to be the church. And he may even intervene to make that happen. This is the warning he gives the church in Ephesus in Revelation. This is what he says. I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you first did. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me. and Do the works you first did. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. It's pretty serious stuff. You know, the very core of our faith is this deep love of Jesus and for people. It's there at the base. That's the bit we get right first. It has to permeate the church. People can see it. They can feel it. You know, you can, you can almost smell it. And Jesus requires that of us. It's a prerequisite to be known as his church. It's a strong and essential foundation. And without it, we cease to be the church. And it seems Jesus considers how we love God and how we love people in such high regard that he himself will do something about it if love is not evident in the church. If we go by what he's warning that church in Revelation there, the church in Ephesus. Now, I'm not sure I can completely understand the theology of this because it's almost like Jesus is saying his presence departs the church if there's no love there. That's kind of what it feels like he's saying, doesn't it? Is it just me? You're not willing to agree with me on that yet? Okay, it's fine. Now, I know we're saved by grace alone, so I will never say Jesus is not in the church, all right? Because if you are a Christian and you've put your faith in him, Jesus lives in here, so therefore he's in the church. But I think I'm on safe ground to say Jesus can withdraw something. Maybe it's an anointing or, or his power. Maybe he can withdraw his blessing. He says, lampstand. He says, I'll take your lampstand and I'll take it away. And I just wonder, have churches ever focused so much on themselves? They've fallen out of love with God and with people and they're just merely going through the motions. And, and can you be in danger, I wonder, of Jesus you know, just picking up that lampstand and just walking off with it? And I wonder if he... He walks away with it and he says, when you guys deal with lack of love, maybe it's pride or whatever, I'll come back with this. Until then, I'm off with your lampstand. Now, I have to ask this morning how we apply this message to us. I think we're a loving church, by the way, so if you're sitting there thinking, I wonder why he's preaching this this morning. Has something happened? No. It's just the next part in the scriptures. But it's for us, okay? Let's not take it for granted. Each of one of us has to take a personal responsibility as followers of Jesus to ask ourselves if we truly love others like Jesus did. We need to respond to the words of Jesus and ask ourselves, do we need to repent like Jesus asked that church in Ephesus did too? You know, he just said, repent. If you don't have that love that you used to have for me and for others... I'm calling you to repent. If we each search our heart, is there, is there someone today we know we, we don't love? 
If there is, Jesus' command is to repent and do something about it. And as your pastor, I'm asking you to please do something about it. This is for me too, because all of us need to be feeding that good oil into that lamp. We, we want it to stay and to burn brightly, right? When we understand and live the kind of agape love that Paul knows it takes for a church to be effective, the ties start to strengthen. You know, this starts to happen. Something big and beautiful and effective is formed. There's nothing better than a healthy church that's filled with people who love each other. Nothing better. It's a place people want to go to. It's like a big comfortable blanket. On the other hand, there's nothing worse than a church that is divided and the ties have all come undone and they've loosened and all you have is a big messy pile of wool, a bit like what's on the seats that you walked into this morning. I believe we've got good ties here. I think the love is strong, but I want us to do all we can to protect it and enhance it, and that's why we're talking about it today. Now, if that passage in Revelation kind of um, encouraged you slash convicted you, let's say, hear what John has to say about love, and you might need to hold on to your seats when we read this particular scripture in 1 John 3, verse 14. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. It gets worse. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really... I don't even want to say it. A murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. That's heavy stuff, isn't it? And I can't help but stand here, the place got quiet, and just check myself against this. If John is correct, and we agree that he is, this is me reading from the scriptures. And by the way, if you think that's just the NLT using flowery language, I checked it, it's not. You can go to the King James Version if you want. It says the same thing. If John is correct, where you think he is, if you struggle to love others, your problem might be a repentance problem. Because here's the thing, if I claim to be a follower of God, but I can't find a way to love my own brothers and sisters in the church... Where on earth is the new person in Jesus that came alive when I was saved? Because that's the evidence. John says it proves it. It proves it. Where is the commitment to walk away from my old self to a new self that lives out the command to love God and to love others you know, above all else? All else. It was the number one command that Jesus gave us. It's no good to say you've repented if your life doesn't reflect it. John goes on to say from verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. That's real love. When we give up our life for others, when we elevate people before us, we want the best for other people. We're showing love, even when it costs us something. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters 
If someone, he gives an example now, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Is there an amen in this place? There was one. Fantastic. You know, church, words can just be so cheap, can't they? Yeah, I love people. You've got to see it in your actions. You've got to see it in your actions. That tells the real story. If you can think of people that you just can't love, if you maybe hate someone, forget about everything else in life until you've got on your knees, beg God forgiveness, repented of your ways, and set about doing nothing else until you find that way to love. Like, just stay there on your knees until that love comes in your heart and God gives you a new heart. Not just the ones that you find easy to love, church, not just our closest family, everyone. This is what God is most interested in right here, you know. What's going on here? There's that hard bit there that goes towards God or others. He wants it to be softened. And we've got to actually take this seriously. Galatians 5 says, the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Like the whole law. It's all summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Stop there. Do nothing else until we got that one right. It doesn't matter how gifted and talented we are. It doesn't matter how great a theologian we are, how much knowledge we have, how successful we are, or how much we've achieved, or even how amazing I think I am. None of it matters without this thing called love. You know, I've already mentioned it this month, last month, whenever it was. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm not going to read it again today. It's very clear. If you're not doing what you're doing with love, Paul said to that church, you're nothing you're just that gong. Just the gong. It's, you know, it's, it's hard stuff, but it's actually really good stuff. Because when we learn to love people, trust me, our life is a better life. Love of others is the most important ingredient to this life in Christ. And yet sometimes it can be the hardest because at our core, we, you know, we... we we care about us first, and most importantly, that's what we seem to be about, mostly, is us. But you need to know Jesus wants to give you a new heart. I just want to say this, if you struggle to love others as yourself, make it your life purpose to have a new heart that truly loves others. It's the most important thing after loving God that you can do. It's more important than investment properties it's more important about hol- than holidays, which are great. I love all those things, by the way. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying, love first, okay? Love God and love others. If we get this right, if our actions prove our love, we will change this world. That lamp will be super bright, all right? I don't know what, I don't know terminology for lights, but it'll be like a billion watts or whatever, right? Lumens, something. It will shine brightly if we get it right. Jesus will put his lampstand right here and it'll be turned up to full power. And if this is your struggle, I want you to come and talk to me because I have some ideas of some practical ways to to help you today. Here's the exciting bit I want to leave you with on this point. 
in this place of genuine love for each other, when we really get it, God's presence is manifest right there. Okay? That's where God will be. Signs and wonders right there when real love happens in a community of this size and bigger. Signs and wonders will happen. Lives will be changed. I've got two more points and they're a lot shorter than that one. The second thing about a holy and faithful church is that it has strong ties of encouragement. Paul said back there in verse 2, he wants to encourage the church. He was always spurring them on, even when he had some tough love to give. It was his heart to encourage people. And I want us to be a church that encourages each other to live devoted lives for Jesus. You know, let's, let's encourage our, our fathers to be great fathers and our wives um, to be great wives and mothers and um, for, for our kids to, to honour their parents and to, to love Jesus and for young people to grow up in the faith, just like we prayed this morning for Harriet, but for other young people to grow up and to live their life for Jesus and to overcome the struggles that the world throws at them and to, to, be, um, to, to be serving God in however it is that he calls them to do it. Let's encourage people. Let's not tear people down, okay? Let's, let's be encouragers. I ultimately want to be a church that is constantly encouraging each other to love Jesus more and more and go deeper in our faith. That's what our job in the church is to be to each other, is to be encouraging each other. Because sometimes we struggle. Things do go wrong. We know that. We talked about suffering a couple of weeks ago. It's really hard, but the beauty of the church is we've got all these people around us that are going to help lift us up and encourage us and spur us on. And when people start to perhaps drift away from the Lord, we just say, hey, come on. We love you. Come back. Gently, of course. (laughs) Gently. Point number three of a holy and faithful church is that it has strong ties of a shared purpose. Just before Jesus died, he commissioned his followers to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, he said. And you should baptize them and you should teach them to obey. And we call it the Great Commission. And within that very short, small speech from Jesus is packed a lot of important detail about the purpose of, of, that we have as Christians in the church. It's a whole other sermon, but at its core, this is our purpose. Our purpose is to be devoted and obedient disciples of Christ and to go out and make more devoted and obedient disciples of Christ. We have a mission to embrace all people and bring justice and mercy to those who are suffering and in need, which just seems to be everybody, quite frankly, because we all have needs. And we're willing to stand together as a church and say, yes, this is our common purpose. We're going to combine our talents and our gifts and our time, and yes, even our money to this purpose. Our ties will be strong. Now, I preached a whole series, by the way, on that back in February called Great and Awesome. So if you're new to us, you're welcome to go on our website and watch those messages again. But this is our mission right here, to glorify God, to embrace all people, and I mean all people, to plant seeds of God's love and and, um, his salvation plan for everybody and to make disciples. In other words, for people to to love Jesus more and more and more and be fully devoted to him. The alternative is Heart for Hills Dinner, October the 18th, and I'll give you 
some more on that. It's going to be a chance for us to say, yes, as a church, this is what we want to be, who we're going to be, what we're going to do, and we're going to do it together. Now, I know, church, that we're not perfect. But I've noticed a determination in us to be a healthy church with strong ties. I've got some thoughts on why that is. But a big part of it, I think, is our willingness to pray together. You know that old saying that a couple that prays together stays together? I think it applies to friendships and stuff, but it also applies to the church. A church that prays together stays together has strong ties. And we're going to pray together in a moment. Don't get scared. It'll be okay. I want to encourage you all here today to agree together that we will commit to strive for stronger ties. For healthy relationships and and that love that encourages and supports each other for our growing sense of common purpose to make disciples. So let me just say this. Um, I can just preach this sermon and, and we'll say it was great and we'll go, at it, go home after this and we'll forget everything I say and that's probably what happens most weeks and that's okay. <laughs> I believe God does do something somewhere. But here's the thing. This morning I want us to commit together and say we will be that church. We're going to fight for a loving church across the board. We're going to fight to be a church that encourages and to get on board with that purpose together. And what that means is when we don't see it, we've got to do something about it. If for some reason the opposite of love happens somewhere, then we have to actually take steps to say, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that anymore. Okay? We should commit together to do that. If we, you know, we sometimes have a tendency to talk about other people sometimes when we're frustrated or whatever. Let's try to bring that down and say, you know, we're not going to do that anymore. And when we hear that, we're going to call it out and say, we don't do that. We're an encouraging church. We're not going to tear people down. Are you all on board with me for this, with this? So here's what I want you to do. You've got a little piece of wool, right? Who loves craft, by the way? Come on. <laughs> I'm glad Lexi does. That's really good. I've noted that after uh, kids' church most weeks, they all waltz out of there with a piece of craft to enhance the message that they learnt that day, right? It must, must be good because they all come home and do they tell the parents what the craft is about? Just the missing kids. <laughs> Rocking it. Yes. This morning, here's what I want you to do. If, if, you're, if this is the first time with us today, I'm sorry. We don't normally do this kind of thing. I just, I wanted to leave an impression on us today that we would look back one day. Remember that time when Nathan had us tying bits of string together? That, that's what my heart is that It's not just a message that was good for us today and then nothing changes, okay? Let's be a loving church. So what I want you to do is start tying the end of your string with someone beside you. And on both sides if you can. And if you can, even across the aisles if you can. This won't be a perfect science, okay? There's going to be gaps. The Holy Spirit's going to fill them. (laughs) Just start to tie your piece of string. Let's make some big, long ones. They can stretch all the way across if you want. If you don't have a piece of string, there's some spare ones lying around. Come and grab them. Make them as long as you can.
I'm going to give you a 30-second time limit on this. <laughs> so make it happen really quick. Start tying that piece of wool. We're slowly crocheting ourselves a big blanket here. <laughs> now I've got 20 seconds. Is it happening over there in the wings? Come on, Julie, make it happen over there for me. Okay, good stuff. You've got 10 seconds. All right, time's up. Let's all stand. Let's all stand with your piece of your wool and your string. Just hold it up for me for a second. Beautiful. Guys, church, do we commit to strong ties of love together? Say amen. amen. Fantastic. You can put it down. Band, you can come on up. You can stay standing. I like it. Kayan's got hers all wrapped around her. Strong ties of love. All right, I've got one more thing for me, for me to share, so you'll have to um, bring it down to a dull roar now, okay? The other day, we, I was in the office, and um, Karen and Anne-Marie were there, and I said, oh, you know, what, what happens in a church when, um, when there's no love? You know, what, does, what causes disunity and stuff like that? And we went through a few ideas, and I guess in the end, a lot of it comes back to the fact that Inherently, we, we want to be right, and we want things our way, and we don't know how to give and be submissive very well. But in the church, it's doable, and it's achievable, and it's powerful. And Karen said to me, it's a miracle, isn't it? And it is. We are a sign and a wonder to this world. They see or they should, that world should see something and go, that thing that they've got going on there, I've got to get into that. I've got to be part of that. They're running off to other things. They're taking drugs. They're doing all sorts of things. That they're looking for meaning and purpose. If we've got a church that's got strong ties of love and it's growing and it's growing, anybody who encounters us through our ministries at the op shop, in the playground, whatever it is, they come in here on a Sunday, they go, man, what is going on here? These people love each other and they've loved me and they've welcomed me in. That has to be us more and more and more. We have to work for it, though, church. It doesn't happen because inherently our, our inward selfish part just backs away from it all the time and looks for something. We're going to say No. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm taking a step forward. This isn't going to be about me. It's going to be about Jesus and others. And we'll have a powerful church and it will be effective, okay? All these long ties. It's just wool today. But they, we want to be tied together. We want to be that sign and wonder to the world. Amen? Here's what we're going to unite around this morning is our united shared belief in Jesus Christ. Okay? If anything's going to bring us together, it's him. So this morning we're going to sing this, I believe. It's uh, based around the creed. And I want you to sing it with gusto, right? 
because we're going to be united and we're going to worship him together and we're going to um, demonstrate to God how much we love him and how much we love others. Let's do that together.